Psalm 45. I have very, very many things that I want to teach to you and to me. And I wait on the Lord for him to move me by his spirit inside to latch a hold of two of them for a Sunday or one of them for a Sunday if I preach two sermons from it until I know that he's moving me inside to love that subject and to be gripped by its importance. Now I'm going to surprise a brother right now by preaching on something that he asked me for this week, but there were five events that occurred this week that moved me to this subject. It was already laying there, already in germ form, already developed in my head, and it's already fully developed in the Bible, but I want to preach it to you tonight. One of the things, one of the five things was, we read the 45th Psalm two weeks ago on a Sunday morning, and I have been very blessed by a few words in the second verse. And then there were four other events involving four other parties in this congregation, the brother that asked for this subject being one of those four. In the Psalm 45 and verse 2, I read some precious words of prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you two weeks ago it's one of the most beautiful psalms because it describes Jesus Christ as a glorious man. And in verse 2 I read, Thou art fairer than the children of men. Amen. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. That's my Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. the most gracious man that ever lived. And if you'll bear with me a few minutes tonight, I want to teach you from the Bible, and I want to teach me from the Bible about graciousness, Amen. because Jesus Christ was the preeminent example of it. Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us. We love your Son, Jesus Christ, and tonight we lift him up, and we look at him as our role model. We look at him as our image that we are to be conformed unto. We look at him as the pattern of all true righteousness. And Heavenly Father, open our eyes and open our hearts and open our minds that we might see him and the things taught to us in Scripture about being gracious, that we as men and women among the world, with one another, with our spouses, with our children, in our other human relationships, will be gracious as the Word of God teaches us so to be. Amen. Bless us to this end, we ask for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we wish to adore and adorn with our own character here in this world. Amen. Amen. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Jesus Christ is the most beautiful man that ever lived, ever shall live, and he lives at this present hour. And the Bible tells us that one of the characteristics of his fairness, grace Amen. was poured into his lips. Right. A chief part of graciousness is the grace with which he speaks. And so we want to look at that tonight. Bear with the definition, please. This will bore you to tears unless you'll listen and apply your minds. I don't like reading definitions, but I want to get started by just reading a definition of the word gracious. 
the quality of being pleasing and attractive. We don't, we're not talking about appearance. We're talking about character. The quality of being pleasing and attractive. Possessing charming and winning grace, especially in manner. Of character, likely to find favor. Of actions, winning favor or goodwill. Being courteous and polite with especially condescending courtesy. Being merciful and compassionate. Possessing grace or moral excellence. Endowed with grace or charm. In a limited sense, being graceful and elegant. Characterized by kindness and courtesy. Especially being condescendingly kind, indulgent, and beneficent to inferiors. I can take that long paragraph, take each clause of it, and show you Bible verses that defend graciousness as a very important attribute of a Christian. But I want to show you that from the Bible. Amen. Let's forget Oxford's English Dictionary. That's how it defines the word gracious. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 11. Hopefully, if you have spiritual understanding, and I trust that you do, Psalm 45 has already shown you that there was something unique about the fairness of Jesus in that he was fair, not his fairness in his dealings, but that he was very fair. He was fairer than the children of men because of the grace in his lips. When he spoke, it was kindness. Right. It was courteous. It was gentleness. It was compassion. It was condescending courtesy like you've never seen before. Amen. And we want to aspire to that graciousness. Amen. By the Spirit of God. Now, I said some time ago that I would preach a message some night uh, to the women. All of us would be in a, attendance on graciousness. Because the Bible picks on women about this subject. But it also picks on men. And so tonight, I'm going to include the women. Women, you can be thankful that it's not all directed at you. But I'm really going after the men. Because the men, we need to be examples of this in our families, our marriages, and our homes. Right. Graciousness. However, in the book of Proverbs, I have Proverbs 11, verse 16. It says, A gracious woman retaineth honor. Now that's a strong statement right there. You show me a woman that's gracious, she'll retain honor. That means she'll hold it, she'll not lose it. A gracious woman is always loved, always respected, always esteemed, always appreciated, always wanted. Simple. If you're not those five things, then you're not gracious. You say to yourself, and I'm going to come back to this, but I am gracious. You are never the judge of your graciousness. That you would even think the thought is internal proof that you are not gracious. Because a gracious person would never think that thought. It's the nature of being gracious. The gracious person doesn't believe that they are. And they want more of it. And if you ask a very gracious person about their graciousness, they'll deny they have much. But if you ask the other person that we're going to look at in just a moment, they'll tell you that they are. And that's self-defeating because it's the humility and the meekness that makes graciousness. Look at that verse, women. And men, we should look at it also. A gracious woman retaineth honor. She's always esteemed. She doesn't lose that esteem or that respect or that desire or that appreciation. And why? Because she is gracious. Now look at Proverbs chapter 30. 
Proverbs chapter 30 mentions another woman. Now, the man who wrote the book of Proverbs had more experience with women than you and me combined, squared, and multiplied. Solomon, didn't he have a few? He knew about all kinds of women. And he was very wise to analyze them all. And by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he gives us these verses in verses 21 through 23. For three things the earth is disquieted. Proverbs 30 and 21. For three things the earth is disquieted. And for four which it cannot bear. These are four things that just upset everyone and irritate everyone. For a servant when he reigneth, when you put somebody in authority who shouldn't be there, and a fool when he is filled with meat, you get a fool full enough, and his laughter and folly will just drive you crazy. For an odious woman when she is married, and an handmaid that is heir to her mistress. For an odious woman when she is married. Two things that you need to notice. Odious. What in the world is an odious woman? An odious woman. What a difference in these two words. Gracious and odious in the book of Proverbs. Odious means provoking hatred. It's that simple. A woman that provokes hatred because she's so repugnant and repulsive. Odious is defined specifically a quality and manner deserving of hatred, causing or exciting hatred or repugnance, disagreeable, offensive, repulsive, exciting odium. And odium is hatred. The other, the other place in the Bible where it's used is that David once sent some ambassadors to the Ammonites, and the Ammonites wanted to provoke David into a war. So they took the ambassadors, shaved their heads, and cut off their garments hard by the buttocks. It looked like they were wearing micro mini skirts. When the men, when these ambassadors came back to David, and the, it says very specifically that they did it to be odious in David's eyes, which would be to engender hatred so that David would enter into a battle with them. That's the other place it's used in the Bible. Odious means hateful. I mean, not hateful in the sense that she, this woman just provokes you to hatred because she's so repugnant and repulsive. And when you get around a woman like that, it's one of the four things that the, that the Lord says the earth is disquieted for and, f- and it cannot bear. So we've got two great extremes and men, we're not, fo- we're not picking on the women. We want the women to hear what is going to be said tonight from the Bible, but we want to be gracious rather than odious ourselves. Can, because men can be as odious as a woman or more so any time. A gracious person is never offensive or haughty, always discreet and modest, and is delightfully charming in every way. We usually describe them as lovely people, and they would never behave themselves in a disagreeable way. They have many friends, though they don't pursue them or flaunt them. They're always kind. You always feel safe and accepted in their presence. Instead of the, instead of the discomfort and work of talking to some sorts, they put you at ease completely and instantly. It's a gift. And it's a fruit. Right. Now, let's look at it more closely. We don't want to be odious. Why don't we want to be odious? We want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ as we walk in the world. If you're at work or you're with neighbors, we want to be gracious. We want to present the Lord Jesus Christ by our lives. We want to be able to deal effectively with brothers and sisters in the church because we're gracious rather than odious. 
We want to have marriages that are successful and happy and fulfilling because we're gracious. Pain in human relationships is always caused by one or both parties lacking in graciousness. Always. We want to be gracious. Okay, we've got three verses. Grace was poured into the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gracious woman retaineth honor, and the odious woman who can bear her. Oh, I wanted to mention one other thing about that poor woman. No, it's the poor man married to her. Forget the woman. There's nothing poor about her. She's disgusting. Notice what it says about her? When she is married. Do you know what? All husbands, I mean all fathers and all sons ought to take very good heed to this verse. When she is married, when you're dating her, you won't see the full picture. Get that thing home and you are in for hell for 50 years. Because even she will restrain some of her hateful repugnance in order to get her man. Then when she has her little whipping boy that she can whip on, then that poor man is cursed for 50 years by having an odious woman. That's what it says. An odious woman when she is married. So you better put some tests on the girls that you are courting, dating, or however you're pursuing wives or fathers pursuing wives for your sons and make sure you measure that character and temperament that would be gracious once married rather than odious once married. Look at the warning when she's married. Then it comes out. Now let's turn to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. I can tell you right now, if you're not interested in this subject, that's okay because I am. I can say right now that I want to be gracious more than anyone else listening to this right now. I want this because I see in the Word of God that it is the most beautifying character trait and temperament uh, aspect of a person after the fear of the Lord. After the fear of the Lord and faith, which includes all of the spiritual, fearing God, loving His Word, faith, when it comes down to actually how we conduct ourselves with other people, it's graciousness. And I want to show you some of the statements that the Bible has about it. And I want you to be excited about this and think that is something that's not taught in school. That's something that's not written up in the Greenville News. I want to learn that. Proverbs 22 and verse 1, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And we usually end, leave off there. We don't think too much about the second half. But the second half of the verse is, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Amen. You want to conduct yourself in such a way that you have a great name, that's better than great riches. You want to conduct yourself in such a way that everyone loves you, which is better than silver and gold. Loving favor. That is to be chosen. It is something you choose. You choose to conduct yourself in such a way that other people give to you loving favor. That was the definition of graciousness. If you'll recall, that was the definition. Let me read it to you. Of character, likely to find favor. Of actions, winning favor or goodwill. That is graciousness in the second half of Proverbs 22 and verse 1. Everyone loves you because you're gracious. You see, I want everyone to love me. Well... All you got to do is be gracious. Easier said than done. Proverbs 22 and verse 11. 
We're looking at the importance of it. Does the Bible actually say something about it? Proverbs 22, 11. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. For his gracious speech, the king shall be his friend. We're going to come back to that verse. Right now, we just want to see that graciousness is important and it's mentioned in the Bible. I have been asked, we all should be asking, I'm always asking, how do we attract people and how do we deal most effectively with someone else? A spouse, a child, a parent, an employee, an employer, a neighbor. How do we deal effectively with them? How do I attract How do young men attract young women? How do young women attract young men? After the fear of the Lord? Graciousness. Graciousness. Absolutely. Graciousness. And notice what it says here in verse 11 of 22 in Proverbs. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Graciousness is set up so high in this verse that if you've got it, the king will be your friend. You know, when you find a beautiful woman, and there's plenty of them, they're, they're pretty easy and pretty cheap. When you find a beautiful woman that doesn't have graciousness, what does the Bible say about her in chapter 11 and verse 22? What is she like? A beautiful woman that doesn't have graciousness or discretion or knows how to conduct herself. You gotta read it to believe it. That this would be in the Word of God. She's a jewel of gold and a swine snout. You get a beautiful woman that has that beautiful appearance that the Lord can give a woman, and yet she doesn't know how to conduct herself? A piece of gold in a pig's nose, a swine snout. That, the, Lord, the word of God is plain, Amen. and I hope you love it for its plainness, and I hope you'll never accept any other translations that want to take away its plainness so that they can sterilize it and sanitize it for the 21st century. We want it just the way God gave it to us because that's how he thinks on these matters. We have looked at God pouring grace in the lips of Jesus Christ. A gracious woman retaineth honor. An odious woman the world cannot bear. That it's better than silver and gold to have the loving favor of others and you do that in how you conduct yourself. And then for a gracious speech you're able to even have the king become your friend. That is winning people God's way and building relationships God's way. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was the greatest example of all. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Graciousness. When you meet a gracious person, all you know is you love them. They're so kind, so pleasant, so compassionate, so cheerful, so friendly, so courteous, so polite, so meek, so forgiving, so agreeable. Yes, I've got about a hundred other synonyms for you to look at that will be in an outline in the back table after it's over tonight. After all, you have a day off tomorrow. We should do some. Most of you have a day off tomorrow. You should do something with that time. Amen. You meet a person like that, and they totally disarm you, and you just want to be in their presence because it is so comfortable to be there and so pleasant to be there. Then you meet the odious person and, oh, just get me out of here. Are they going to be there? I don't want to be there. We all know. Solomon knew, and he tells us in the Word of God, that there are both kinds. And brethren, 
We could do all sorts of little games tonight to make this plainer for you, but I'm going to hope that preaching's enough. Amen. We could pass out pieces of paper and list everybody in the congregation and have you all list them from one to 70 that might be here tonight, from most gracious to least gracious, and we could tabulate those results and I could send them back to you by email, but wouldn't that be painful? And you say, well, I don't care what people say. That's right. You're odious. Um, because the point is, graciousness and odious is always in the eyes of the beholder. Notice what it said in Proverbs 22.1. The loving favor of others. It's not what you think about yourself. The minute you start thinking about it yourself, or the minute you start defending yourself, you're automatically excluding yourself from a gracious person. Our Lord Jesus Christ, look what it says about him. Luke 2 and verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Amen. Now, if he's growing in favor with man, he's gracious. If he's growing in favor with God, he's godly. What a common Brethren, can we be godly and gracious at once? Are there gracious people in the world? Yes. Are there people that give great sums to charity in the world? Yes. Does God accept either? No. Graciousness flowing as a fruit of the Spirit is what God is looking for and what God blesses. Right. Not just because it might be a temperamental gift. Though will never forget that. Even the plowing of the wicked is sin. You've met those kind, too, that don't fear God, but they're gracious. They didn't learn it by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God can teach us all if we ever dropped to our knees and fully humbled ourselves and repented of our defensive repugnance at being told that we're wrong and our character and personality traits are, un are displeasing to other people and said, Lord, fill me with your Spirit and let me bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That is a gracious person. Amen. Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in favor with God and man. Well, i got to look at verse 40 in the same chapter. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. We should be growing in wisdom by the word of God. Isn't that what Psalm 19 told us this morning? Yep. The word of God can make the simple wise. We should be growing in wisdom. The grace of God should be upon us as we humble ourselves before the spirit of God. And he can teach us graciousness. Right. There is a huge difference. And you are somewhere on that spectrum of either severe odious or great graciousness. You are somewhere in there. And it's in the opinion of others and how much they like having you around. It's tough. Now, we read that Jesus had grace poured into his lips. Because a key to graciousness is how we speak. And for those that are fast talkers and big talkers and long talkers, we've got a great big mark against us before we even get going. Because we'll say things too quickly and too impulsively and too hastily, and it won't be with grace. I want it, and I will get it by the grace of God. I want you to have that same attitude. Luke 4 and verse, where do, I don't want to read the whole passage. It's, it starts at verse 16. Jesus Christ comes to his hometown. He's now 30. He's been baptized. He comes into the synagogue, 
in Nazareth. They open up the scriptures and they say, "Who anyone want to read? Jesus Christ of Nazareth comes forward and reads from Isaiah chapter 61. And he says, this scripture is fulfilled this day in your ears. And he sits down. And I want to tell you something, brethren. I, I don't know how closely you read the word of God, but I love to read it. And I read in verse 22. Amen. And all bear him witness. Not three easily deceived women. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Who could get up and read a scriptural prophecy about himself. Say, you don't have to wonder any further about this interpretation. The interpretation of this passage, this passage is about me. And sit down and the entire place is blown away. Wonder, blown away? I have the right to say that in our slang. They were all wondering at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. That a man could read a passage of scripture like that, be the fulfillment of its statements, and do it so well, so compassionately, so meekly, so graciously. The Bible says gracious. Are there any other men like the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible? A few. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 26 tells us that Samuel was like the Lord Jesus and that as he grew, he grew in favor both with God and with men. It's 1 Samuel 2.26, And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. He was of an excellent spirit. His spirit was such that he could please God and please men. That's what we want to aspire to by the grace of God, to be able to please both. Samuel could do it. Did Daniel have an excellent spirit? Daniel chapter 5. The brother that corresponded with me this week had been reading in Daniel and saw the excellent spirit that Daniel had and wants it. And I love that attitude and desire because Daniel was exceptional. Remember, one of the five great ones. And guess what? Samuel was too. Samuel was too. One of the five great ones in the Old Testament. I read about Daniel chapter 5, verse 12. For as much as an excellent spirit, we could read the rest of the verse, but that's what I want. He had an excellent spirit, not abrasive. You've met the people that have an edge. You can put it in quotation marks in a sentence. They have an edge on their personality. When you're talking to them, there's an edge there. It makes you uncomfortable. You're not relaxed. It's not pleasing. It's not agreeable. It's not pleasant. It's not warm. It's not inviting. He had an excellent spirit, a spirit you wanted to be around. Look at chapter 6. Chapter 6. This is when Darius sets Daniel up so high, and all of his peers are jealous, so they're seeking ways to have him removed from his office. But as they look at Daniel, look what it says about him. Verse 4. No, let's get verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. How did Daniel get from being a captive eunuch to being over the three presidents? 
by an excellent spirit. What is an excellent spirit? What does the Bible describe as an excellent spirit? Graciousness. That gracious spirit. The gracious spirit that Jesus Christ spoke with in Luke chapter 4 that made men wonder at him. Then in verse 4 we read, The presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Isn't that great? Every man on his job ought to be have this statement made about him. No fault, no error whatsoever could anyone find about you, even if there was a whole group of them under a conspiracy to destroy you. No, that's tough. Nothing in Daniel. He was of an excellent spirit. Now let's look at the one of the fathers of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's David. Come over, turn, come over to 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. We're looking at a few Bible examples of very gracious men. We've seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace was poured into his lips. He grew in favor with men. That means he had a winning way of dealing with people. He, 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 he had a winning way of dealing with people because he grew in favor with men. We saw Samuel the same way. We saw Daniel had an excellent spirit. Let's remember something about David. He was a man after God's own heart, and God had taught him about graciousness without going to a finishing school, without going to any military academy, and without even being in a palace before. David knew how to conduct himself by the Spirit of God. That's important, because you look at some of these characters, and if you've ever met a very gracious person, you look at them, and you see how winning and warm and charming they, they are, And you say to yourself, I can't be like that. You have never tried to let the Spirit bear fruit in you as he has in other men. Is my answer to that. You are too defensive and so set in your ways you don't want to learn. Because the fruit of the Spirit is not just for a select few. The entire church of the Galatians was told to bear it and to have that fruit. All of us. You say, well, I wasn't given a very gracious personality. Well, God can take care of that. Let his spirit shine through instead of yours. Amen. It may be a little harder for you. It's a little harder for all of us in all sorts of different ways. Some might be more mathematically inclined and others are not. Does that mean we give up? No, that means we trust the Lord and apply ourselves a little harder in that area. David was a man after God's own heart, and I love his example of being gracious. If he was a man after God's own heart, he was gracious. If you look up in a concordance, the number of times gracious appears in the Bible, it's a large number. But guess who it's describing most of the time? God. God himself. He's gracious and long-suffering, plentiful in mercy. Long-suffering, plentiful in mercy. Must be a connection there. Definitely. Never critical, never harsh, never judgmental, never condemning, is a gracious person. Until they have to. I mean, you push them in a corner and you force them to be that way. Because they would rather be merciful and gracious and long-suffering. 1 Samuel 18. David was taught by God while he was out there with the sheep. David kills Goliath, hacks his head off, comes into Jerusalem... 
wasn't Jerusalem at that time, but it was where King Saul was. And King Saul wants to know who he is. Look at the last verse of, of chapter 17. Saul said to David, David is the hero of Israel. He's just killed Goliath. He's got this monstrous head the size of my pulpit hanging in his hand. And Saul says, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. No pretension, no no pride, no arrogance, no haughtiness at all. Here is the hero of Israel. It's not like one of our athletes today, is it? Not at all. Very gracious. Watch when he gets around other people. And it came to pass. This is the first verse of chapter 18. Brethren, read this, please, with understanding and see why we want to be like David, who was a man after God's own heart, and be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. Is that a winning way with people? Who was Jonathan? The son of the king, who would be the next king. He is standing there beside that throne, and in comes this pup from Bethlehem. Yes, he's holding a big head, and yes, he's got a big sword, but he's just a young pup. Hasn't been to all the fine tutors that Jonathan's been to, hasn't ever lived in a palace before like Jonathan's lived all his life. And Jonathan stands there and watches a man with the Spirit of God in him bearing graciousness, and he loves him as his own soul, and he strips off his royal clothes and his sword and his girdle and his bow and gives them to David. And brethren, if you read the rest of your Bible, you would know that Jonathan said, when you are king, let me be your right-hand man. And that was the prince of Israel. Do the words mean anything to you? He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Proverbs 22, verse 11. For the grace of his lips, for the, he that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. What else do we know about David? Verse 5. David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now there's a lot of temperaments, and a lot of men who don't rule their spirits. They could be given a position like that, and everybody would hate him. Where did he come from? All he did was kill one man. I've been serving in this army for ten years! But notice about David, he was accepted in the sight of all the people and of all Saul's servants. Why? Because he behaved himself wisely. He had that excellent spirit, and the chief aspect of that is graciousness in dealings with other people. Look at verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. 
Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went out and came in before them. He mingled with the people all the time, but he always behaved himself so wisely that everybody loved him. That is winning favor. He had what's better than silver and gold. He had Proverbs 22.1. He had graciousness. David had it. Look at verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. Why was David's name much set by? Because he killed Goliath? Notice that. Because he behaved himself more wisely than all of Saul's servants. That's why his name was much set by. You heard the name David, and you thought of a lovely person, a wonderful person, an excellent spirit. He is a great man. He is wonderful. Have you talked to him? All the people, because he went in and out among them. They all loved him. Because he knew how to behave himself very wisely, which is being gracious. There's, a, there's examples from the Word of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ first, Samuel, Daniel, David. It's important, and I've already shown you those verses in the book of Proverbs, for us to be gracious. Now, where does graciousness come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Don't you go by your temperament. If God gave you a temperament that lends itself more easily to it, well, then you've got a little advantage, but not much. Because it's the Spirit of God that works true graciousness. If you are in the flesh trying to be gracious, you will be just that, in the flesh trying to be gracious, and it will not please God, and God won't bless it, even though you may have a few more friends than the odious woman. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and see the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. A person that is... You read the Psalms and you know David had a close relationship with the Lord. The, the God himself would say that David was a man after his own heart. And he behaved himself so wisely. What was that? He was bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And it's not fruits. Right. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is in a person, you'll have half of these. Your favorite ones of these. The ones that you're most temperamentally disposed to. No, you'll have them all. You say, but there's two in there that I don't have. What do you need to be praying for? The Spirit. You say, well, I've got the other seven. You may be deceiving yourself. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What love is that? Is that some gooey feeling? Or is that the 15-phrase description from 1 Corinthians 13 on conducting yourself perfectly with other people? B. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, 15 phenomenal short phrases about how to deal with other people. All in the word, love. You say, I can't remember 15 things at once. I get confused. You don't have to. Isn't that glorious? All you got to remember is, Lord, help me. And he will, and the Spirit of God will bear this kind of love. Love, joy. Do you know how much fun it is to be around a joyful person? Yes. 
Do you know how bad it is to be around a morose person? Yes. Ever been around either? Both? Yep. Horrible. Joy. Where does it come from? There isn't anything joyful in my life. I'm, I'm just trying to provoke you. Of course there is. If you're a child of God, Amen. and the Holy Spirit's in you, there's every reason to rejoice, and no reasons not to. Right, right. You say, but I've sinned. Confess it and rejoice that he forgave you. Amen. Peace. Oh, to be around a peaceful person is so nice. They're at peace. They're any, they, there's no conflict. There's no arguing. There's no disagreement. It's peaceful. It's wonderful. I love being with that person. It's always so peaceful. Long-suffering. Even if you do something wrong, guess what? They don't even look like it phased them because you're so filled with the Spirit that you've got long-suffering. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Temperance. Against such there is no law. Amen. Gentleness. Is that part of graciousness? Yes. That gentle, warm, easygoing, pleasant, forgiving way of dealing with other people instead of the harsh, critical, overbearing, pushy, loud, cold, edgy type of dealing with people. Goodness, faith, meekness, not promoting, no self-promotion in a gracious person because they're meek. The Lord Jesus Christ was meek above all with Moses next to him. And if you want to wonder what that is, it's Jesus Christ healing a man and saying, don't tell anyone, because he was never in the business of self-promotion, just as Moses was never in the business of wanting the office that God put him in. The Holy Spirit gives us graciousness. The Holy Scriptures teach us about it. Right. Now, we read this morning in Psalm 19, and we don't do anything on Sunday by accident. We do it by the blessing of the Lord and by a little bit of craftiness. Mostly the blessing of the Lord. Psalm 19 is able to make wise the simple. Amen. It's able to convert the soul. It's able to show you everything you need right here. The Holy Spirit blessing us from the inside, us learning how we should conduct ourselves and asking the Spirit to bear that in our lives Amen. and following the rules that the Bible actually gives us, we can be gracious as the Lord Jesus would have us be. Now, brethren, the Holy Spirit can lead and the Holy Scriptures can guide, but you can't get started until we acknowledge our sin of being odious and humble ourselves before God and want and choose, as I taught this morning, to be different. A great difficulty in ever-changing is the stubbornness of most to admit their faults especially the odious person. A gracious person, you don't even have to get started. You just mention graciousness and they'll say, oh, I'm not gracious at all. I wish I was more gracious. And you're standing there looking at them. Oh. You are! But they don't know it. That's what makes them gracious. But the odious person, try to tell them that they're not gracious. You'll get a fight. That's why the earth is disquieted and it cannot bear them. Because they think so highly of their ability to get along with people. They'd find out. And remember, it's not what we think about ourselves. It's growing in favor with God and men, not growing in favor with yourself. Right. 
always measure by how you're being perceived and received, perceived and received by others. Because that's how Jesus was measured. That's how Samuel was measured. That's how David was measured. It wasn't David behaved himself wisely and knew that he was acquiring great wisdom. David behaved himself wisely and all of Israel and Judah loved him and set much by his name. It's how others perceive us. I could easily walk through this church and divide it in half with those having an abrasive edge on their personalities tending toward odiousness and putting on the other side those that don't have that edge. It's easy. Most of you could do it too. All that matters is how God and others view us. You know, the greatest love of all is not the love of self, even though Whitney Houston may sing that. We want to grow in favor with God and men. Not in favor with ourselves. I was born in favor with myself. I've liked myself since the day I was born. And so have you. And if you deny it, you're a liar. You already love yourself more than anybody ever, ever, more than anybody else on this world will ever love you. That's why Jesus said if we could ever learn to love others like we love ourselves, we'd be the world's greatest lovers. Because he set the highest standard possible, the way we love ourselves. That's why he told husbands to love their wives as their own bodies, because he already knew how husbands love their bodies. How do we get it? What can we do to practice and acquire graciousness according to the word of God, which in Psalm 19 says it has the rules and the statutes and the judgments and the fear of the Lord to teach us? Look at Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs 17. Are there some things that we can do and learn, and by the Spirit of God, they'll happen in our lives if we submit to Him and choose. Remember, sin's a choice. Being odious is sinful. Graciousness is bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and we can choose to be gracious. The first suggestion from the Word of God is Proverbs 17, verse 27. He that hath knowledge spareth his words. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Read the verse carefully. You want the excellent spirit that's in the last part of Proverbs 17, 27? Spare your words. Elsewhere in Proverbs, we can read that in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. The person that talks the most has a big difficulty in being gracious because of the text. Spare your words and you'll be a man with knowledge and of understanding with an excellent spirit. Daniel had an excellent spirit. Here is one way he spared his words. So hard to do. You know, David in one place said that he had made a... He, he said, I'm not going to speak. I don't care if it's good, bad, or otherwise. I'm not going to speak. And you know what it says about him? The next verse? He says he had a fire burning inside him. Right. And then he had to. It's hard to control. What does James chapter 3 teach us? The tongue is a fire, and it's set on fire of hell. So one way, automatically, that you can be more gracious is cut your words down. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. Now look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Somebody will say, well, you're finally getting to the New Testament. Do you think Paul had to rewrite the book of Proverbs for us to believe that it's Scripture? Nope. He didn't have to rewrite it. He knew it was already there. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. 
Here's a second suggestion from the Word of God, a rule from the Word of God, guidance, a light from the Word of God to be gracious. Let your speech be always with grace. Kindness, mercy, forgiveness, compassion, long-suffering. Let your speech be always that way. Let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt. If you've got a vat that big that you're cooking something, when you season it with salt, how do they measure that in a cookbook? Sometimes it's just a pinch. Some pinches of salt. That's a small amount compared to the vat or something that you're fixing. A pinch. Let it just be seasoned with salt. You say, I wish you'd preach with more grace. Well, keep praying for me then. But I want to be John the Baptist too, so I've got a tough road to hoe, as Southerners would say. I want to be John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah, and I want to be gracious like David. And that is hard to do, because I'll tell you something. John the Baptist and Elijah were not very gracious. Not like David was. They didn't sit around and write psalms or play the harp. They were a blasting of a trumpet to tell God's people to repent of their sins. God had them for a special purpose, and in this day and age, we need that too. Here's the verse, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. The text tells you how to answer every man. Does it? Does it tell us how to answer every man? Always with grace, seasoned with salt. That's how you know how to answer every man, always with grace. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and see if we can get a similar statement. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Everything you say should be to build someone up and to administer grace to them. Everything that comes out, especially in our close relationships, like our church, like our spouses, like our family, everything that comes out should be to build them up, that is to be edify them and to minister grace to them. Amen. Look at Ecclesiastes 10. I'm sorry for running so many references on this second point. The first one was cut your words down. Spare your words. The second point is to always speak with grace. Look at Ecclesiastes 10. This is the word of God. Amen. Ecclesiastes 10:12 The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. What is he saying there? He is saying nothing different than Ephesians 4:29 and Colossians 4:6. A wise man who has learned to please God and who fears God and who wants the speech that God commends is going to be gracious. His words will be as we've been describing, pleasant, peaceful, building up, edifying, comfortable, Warm, affectionate, compassionate, courteous, polite, condescendingly kind. And then Proverbs 16, 13. Speech is so much a part of graciousness. It's the chief part of graciousness. That's why we started with Psalm 45, 2. Grace is poured into thy lips. 
about Jesus Christ. Proverbs 16, 13, Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him that speaketh right. When a man can control his speech, which James 3 says no man can tame the tongue, but I know a God that can. Don't go into James 3 and come out hopeless. Go into James 3 and realize you need a deliverer. Amen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He, you can do it. And in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him that speaketh right. Daniel was of an excellent spirit. Darius raised him up. Belshazzar raised him up. Nebuchadnezzar raised him up. It didn't matter who was in power. Daniel was there at the top. Because he had an excellent spirit. And why did those kings love him? Because he had righteous lips. And whenever he said anything, it was the right thing to say. How do you, I don't know how to say the right thing every time. Ephesians 4.29 Only say those things that are good to the use of edifying and that minister grace to the hearers. Right. Proverbs 22.11 Let's move to another piece of, another bit of light from the word of God. Proverbs 22 verse 11 We've been here before. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. What is the fountain for gracious speech? A pure heart. A pure heart. If you are playing with sin, anger, hatred, envy, debate, deceit, malignity, all the sins of the New Testament described in many lists, if you're playing with any of those and you don't have a pure heart, it will come out of your lips. Jesus Christ said, The mouth speaketh out of the abundance of the heart. Right. If you have a pure heart, everything that comes out of your mouth is going to be pure, loving, kind, compassionate, gracious. It says it right here. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. It starts with taking diligent heed to our hearts. As my brother Jeff's favorite verse, Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If you keep your heart pure, you will end up with the king being your friend, because in between will be gracious speech. You can't even allow a little folly. Right. You say, but folly's fun. You're a fool. Ecclesiastes 10.1 Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savour. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. How many dead flies do you think the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian governments saw in Daniel? How many? None. None. He was of an excellent spirit. He had righteous lips and he always said that which was right. The kings delighted in him. They loved him. They wanted to exalt him, though he was a foreigner from that strange little nation called Israel. Dead flies caused the ointment of the apothecary, the perfume, to send forth a stinking savour because there's a dead fly in it. What's the dead fly by this verse? A little, a little folly. Well, I just got a little sarcastic with my husband. Well, forget being gracious. I got a little sarcastic with my sons. Forget being gracious. I was a little overbearing. I was a little critical. I jested a little more than I should have. I laughed a little longer than I should have. I was a little too pushy. 
you say, if you're going to come down that hard on little amounts of those errors, I don't know that I can do it. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Cut your words down. And if you don't speak for a few weeks, we'll know what you're doing. Cut your words down. And only open your mouth. And all this is, listen, come on, you're all looking at me. You know that I've got the the hardest road to hoe of anyone in here. But I'm going to hoe it. The man who can talk quickly and who talks impulsively and who talks a lot, it's very hard to do this. But I want to do it. And I want you to do it. And the Lord wants us to do it. That's why he's led me to this. And there's several reasons in this congregation. I love the fact that there are people that want an excellent spirit. Don't even allow a little folly. Let's control our speech as carefully as we can. And let's not try to justify it. Well, I just couldn't control myself. Well, he deserved it. Well, it was it was a tense moment. Doesn't matter. Daniel didn't do that. Right. You say, wow, the Lord can help you do it. The fifth thing I'd like to say is exalt mercy over judgment. Never In your dealings with people, be gracious by exalting mercy over judgment. James 2.13 says that he that doesn't show mercy will not obtain mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Mercy is something that gets excited about being able to show itself when you could judge someone. That is graciousness. You say, you sound like a compromiser. Every time you can. Every time you can. Compromise. Mercy rejoices against judgment. You'll know when you get pushed into a corner or you've got to take a stand in the Word of God, but if it's in personal relationships with other people, compromise. Be merciful. I've already said, and this is is an item number six, the 15 phrases of 1 Corinthians 13. We don't have time to look at them. I want you to think about Philippians chapter 2, where it says this, about your relationships with other people. Philippians chapter 2. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. What is that called in our two choices tonight? Strife and vainglory. That's odious. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That is graciousness. That is getting outside of yourself and lifting someone else up. That's being edifying to them. And that's caring about their things. When you run into the presence of a gracious person, you think that you are the most important person in their life. They give you time and energy and emotion and words and the looks on their face. They're they're focused on you. They're gracious because they care about you. As this text tells us to. You've also talked to the person that can't wait to get their words in. And you know that while you're speaking, they're only thinking about what they're going to say. Very different. Don't let us be odious, but with a lowly mind, let's esteem other better than themselves. You know, if a husband and a wife were to practice this toward each other, just think what would happen. Everyone in here that's married knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's so hard to be gracious with the ones at home. I've already mentioned meekness is a great virtue we ought to seek because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the lack of interest in promoting yourself. If you're given to moodiness, you better rule your spirit. Gracious people aren't moody. They're always gracious. 
<clears throat> you say, but I'm moody. God made me that way. Oh, you're going to start to throw that at me? That's what the drunkard says. And in our nation today, that's what the sodomite says. Don't throw that at me. You just need to rule your spirit. You say, but I don't see other people having as much of a struggle as I do. Well, that may be the struggle God gave you. And he gave it to you for a reason. Admire and esteem gentleness. Gentleness is a virtue. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's not a vice. It's not a weakness. It's not wrong. It's not effeminate. Gentleness is great. Jesus Christ was gentle until he needed to be otherwise. Was he otherwise? Yes, because the Pharisees made it very needful on very many occasions. And then he wasn't very gentle. But in dealing with his own, he was gentle. And we're told that it's a fruit of the Spirit. Brethren, if you can practice this with your wife and children, you can do it at work. You know why? Because there's not as much familiarity that is set that is brought in contempt at work. There's more of that at home. If all men can learn to be gracious toward their wives and children at home, it'll be easy to do it outside the home. If the women can learn to be gracious toward their husbands, I mean in the sense of the Bible, fully gracious toward their husbands at all times, they'll be able to do it with everyone. And so it's very easy for us to go home and begin with the first relationships we have, our parents, our children, and our spouse, and try to practice the Christian virtue of graciousness. Grace was poured into the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel was of an excellent spirit. David behaved himself so wisely that all of Israel and Judah loved him. They grew in favor with God and men. Women, men, we can be gracious. The Lord commands us to be gracious. If we were to all be gracious toward one another, we would have a very loving church. If we were to all be gracious with our spouses, we would have some fantastic marriages. If we were gracious everywhere, our excellent spirits would be seen by the world and may Jesus Christ get all the honor and the glory and the praise by witnessing our spirits. Amen.